Holy Spirit. We are here gathered by your work. That the church is the church because you have been poured out. Because you have been poured out, we can know the Father. We can know the Son. And from that place of knowing, we can dwell. And we give you thanks. Lord, may the words of my mouth mouth, and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing, be acceptable, be an offering fragrant in your sight. Amen. Please be seated. So it's great to be back with with you guys. Every time I come, Steve seems to be gone. Uh, So, you know, I... There's, there's so many different directions that, that we could go as, as we reflect on, on the Pentecost story and the Pentecost event. and uh, So we'll spend a little bit of time exploring the, the Acts passage. Um, but we, we really can't talk about Pentecost uh, without dwelling in the reality of God as Trinity and his identity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the beautiful poetic language of John invites us this, this dwelling, the Father and the Son, and the, and the connection through the Holy Spirit. Uh, to enter into the Pentecost story as it unfolds in our Acts passage makes us consider, uh, take pause, that the disciples and all who believed on that day of Pentecost, they received a new identity as a community intimately filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, They received the very presence of God, and this reality transformed them and is continuing to establish and transform us as the church. Everyone gathered in this room right now, we, we all have an identity, a way in which we see and define ourselves and, and for many of us, we, we are known, our identity is rooted in our relationships and roles, whether as parents, as children, as spouses, as friends. But on a, a global scale and also on a local level, our story as, as a people, as, as, a, as humanity, uh, is filled with imposing on other people identities that have been both divisive and destructive, whether these come in the categories of of rich or poor, educated, working class, belonging to one ethnic group or another, being a part of one tribe as opposed to another. Essentially, even in the midst of the, the positive dimensions of identity we have, we live and breathe in a divided world. And the Babel story that we read from Genesis illustrates what already resonates when we see misunderstanding and division around us. It's not news for us to hear that story. We understand, even on an intuitive level, some dimension of that, of that sense of misunderstanding and division that is a, is a part of the reality we see. And, and here and now, we, we still live in a world marked by divisions of language and 
by extension, divisions of culture and race and ethnicity. And, and on some level, there's this continued work of separating out people who are viewed as like and unlike us. And it, it makes me wonder, uh, as I'm sure it might for some of you, uh, what purpose Pentecost even affected if all this division still seems present in the world and while I don't want to gloss over that question because we could spend we could spend days wrestling with that reality, uh, I want to explore a further dimension. I sort of want to shift focus um, kind of underneath some of that. So deep, deep below these divisions that, cont- that, that really characterize our contemporary society, below the, the prejudgments and, and the separating out people who are different and other and, and who, is, who is like us, there's also, I think, a, a profound desire for, for belonging, a desire for a sense of safety in relationships with others who share something in common. Now, this isn't a justification in any way for the injustices carried out in the name of, of religious or moral superiority or rejection of others based on gender or class or ethnicity, But it's an acknowledgement that there is desire, however misshapen, for something, uh, when turned in the right direction, reflects something good. And I think that that goodness is is about uh, belonging and sharing ourselves in relationship. To have a sense of our identity connected to something that is worthwhile and worthy. And our reading from Acts on this Pentecost Sunday is an invitation to consider that our primary identity as followers of Jesus is rooted firmly in the promise of the Father, given in the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus has poured out to not only recreate and establish establish the church, but also to sustain the church until Jesus returns. But we're, we're not simply dropped into the church's feast day of Pentecost. It's, uh, for, for those of us, as, as we've sort of walked along since, since Easter Sunday, it's, it's been a rather meandering seven weeks getting, uh, getting here from Easter Sunday. And much has happened, including, uh, you know, to, to mark a resurrection, uh, 40 or so days of Jesus appearing and disappearing to his disciples teaching them, and this then followed by Jesus being mysteriously lifted up and away from the disciples, disappearing in a cloud, and his command to wait for the promise of the Father until the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The festival of of Pentecost, as as many of you probably know, in, in Israel, in their practice and worship, uh, was associated with two primary events, or, or came to be associated with two events. And one of those events was singular in nature, and the other cyclical. The, the first event was the, the giving of the Torah at Sinai, and the cyclical event was the, the reaping during the wheat harvest. So both patterned after the sense of God's revelatory and sustained giving, the giving of the teachings that lead to life, the Torah, and the giving of bread necessary to sustain life. So when we hear that Pentecost has arrived at the beginning of our Acts reading, 
we're invited to explore the connections that in some sense, the coming of the Holy Spirit is revelatory, reveals something about God's self-giving activity. And the people who, who hear and receive, they become participants, so to speak, in this harvest, are themselves a part of the harvest, and the Holy Spirit becomes the gift given, uh, even as the Torah was given. But this gift is, is not something external. It's, it's a person able to dwell in the heart depths of people, able to empower and give life. And in the words from our gospel passage, as, as Jesus says, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And, and one thing I was reflecting on, Jesus' disciples, they, they needed empowerment and renewed life. Uh, they, they weren't exactly steadfast in everything that happened in Jesus' last days before the resurrection. Uh, you know, just to, to mention, you know, they, they fell asleep in the midst of his darkest hour in the garden and, and, and couldn't flee fast enough during his arrest. And, and can we imagine how the memory of, the, the, of that failure, their, their multiple failures, may have been shaping their identity? The disciples have, have already lived through their own sense of betrayal, through their sense of weakness and failures to companion Jesus at the end of his life. And they've already lived through the experience of, of the crushing of those original hopes they had about Jesus as an earthly king. And now they're, they're commanded, ordered no less in the, in the language uh, uh, from Acts, to not depart and not scatter as they had done initially following Jesus' betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion, but instead to wait, to wait in a posture of expectancy, to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. So let's unpack a little bit of our passage in Acts. You know, Luke, Luke speaks to three primary manifestations that witness to the divine presence. And this is, is part of the core, is how God shows up in, into the intimate depths of people's lives. And, and these three, three images are, are three sort of metaphors for, for getting at what's happening. He, he uses wind, fire, and prophetic speech. And the first wind, if, if we remember the, the Hebrew word, even in the Old Testament for, for, for spirit, it, it, ruach is, is also wind. And so there's this deep association between wind and spirit, the spirit flowing and showing up in the form of sort of breath that is, that is um, being released from, from God. Uh, so this image was one of, of intimate, intimate presence, but also sort of vast presence. Uh, the, the second image of fire uh, in, in the language from Acts, the divided tongues of flame that, that come to rest on each of the disciples. In, in the Old Testament tradition, we, we're invited to draw these parallels, both uh, the burning bush, uh, when Moses shows, shows up and, and comes and approaches this burning bush, bush that represents God's presence. As well, there's the pillar of fire guiding the Israelite people in their, in their wandering through the desert. 
And then there's also the, the consuming fire uh, represented in the smoke rising from Mount Sinai, denoting the divine presence as consuming, as holy, as powerful, and, and even this, this sense of the judgment and holiness of God, but also that presence of God. And the third manifestation of, and witness to that divine presence comes in prophetic speech. In the Old Testament, there's this rich tradition of prophetic utterances that are seen as coming from the Spirit of God, resting on people for a particular moment or purpose in time, inviting the sense of God speaking through intermediaries, but still communicating the reality of God's desire and will and commitment to be known. So the Holy Spirit comes, filling the entire space with this unavoidable sense of his presence. But it doesn't stop there at filling the space with sound and sight. Uh, it moves toward this increasing sense of intimacy and presence. The flame comes to rest on each person gathered in the upper room. The, the language is such that it invites, there's a sense of the, of the unity that it's a single flame and yet that flame divides to rest and so there's a sense of both unity but then also diversity of the covering of all the gathered people in the upper room and the response of this inpouring of the spirit is bodied forth in truthful speech basically the reality of truthful speech is about being a witness to what God is doing. And the disciples begin to speak in other languages, and these words are then perceived by the people gathered from every nation in their own language. And the words are about praising the works of God. But note that this, this event is not self-explanatory. In and of itself, there are many ways in which this, this event is being read by the people gathered. And the gathered community in Jerusalem have, have profoundly different reactions. But the Holy Spirit provides interpretation through Peter's speech. And this, I think, we can see as a continuation of that prof prophetic speaking that is a mark of the Holy Spirit showing up. So Peter preaches from, a te from the prophetic text in the scroll of Joel and and this passage is, is all about understanding that, that what is happening right now is a radically new kind of event, prophesied about but not fully revealed until this very moment. And this event of the Holy Spirit coming was sort of a, of end times proportion, so to speak, uh, ushering in a new social order, which was arriving it was about forming a new people inspiring them in ways never imagined or conceived this wasn't simply for the elite for the socially uh, desirable the respected the educated the people with the identity that was that would be deserving of the spirit of god but in the language of joel uh, the 
it was for all, on all flesh that spirit was to be poured out. And the very presence of God would be poured out on everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. And in some sense, this is profoundly unsettling, destabilizing. Uh, this is, this is an apocalyptic message in the sense that breaking from the established order of things and almost violently ushering in a new way of conceiving life in the world. This was a, a radical democratizing of people's access to and knowledge of God. And no, no wonder this was so unsettling in some sense. Uh, Peter declares that this is exactly what is in the midst of happening at Pentecost. But uh, where does this narrative event leave us as the church here almost 2,000 years removed from that Pentecost event? And in the last few, few minutes, I, I want us to explore some of what it means for the church and, and one another. Uh, be, because, the, because God has poured out the Holy Spirit, we can trust that God is at work in the church and in the world and in our lives. This means that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And our identity is, is not that we are the gatekeepers to the kingdom, so to speak, but custodians and witnesses to what the Holy Spirit is doing to bring people into the kingdom. And it's not our job to decide who the Spirit is reaching, uh, but to trust that the Holy Spirit is working, drawing men and women, families and singles, people from all walks of life to himself. And this, this trust, this posture of trust, invites us to cultivate the virtue of humility as we are with, not, as we are with others, not on the basis of race or status or possessions or lack thereof, but on the basis of God's gracious initiative and free gift. Because God has poured out the Holy Spirit, we experience a reversal of Babel. We are not in control uh, to make a world after our own desires and in our own image as the Babel story unpacks. In Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, all manner of dividing walls have been broken down. Genuine unity and mutual building up is made possible. In part, it's made possible because the capacity to understand one another through the Holy Spirit is a reality. The divisions of language or tribe do not hold ultimate sway. These are not the primary identity markers for those of us who have received the Holy Spirit. And we're invited to share our stories and the stories entrusted to us as part of the church's testimony of healing and growth and transformation as witnesses of God's kingdom breaking in to the world in which we live. And yet to return again to, to the Acts passage, there's always a human response to the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And I want to mention a couple of those responses. The first one that, that, we, that we see in, in the Acts passage is, is a posture of, of openness, curiosity. It's, it's rooted in a desire for understanding. Verse 12 speaks that all were amazed and perplexed. What does this mean? This sense of what, what's happening. I, I don't know how to read the event, the situation. And the second is, is a posture of dismissiveness, the, the, the idea of already being closed off to the possibility of something radically new. And there's this, this hardness in, in the language of Acts, but others mocking said they're filled with new wine. We, we may find ourselves challenged by both of these postures, at times recognizing in ourselves the hardness, the sense of being closed off to what God may be doing because in some sense we're lacking the imagination to consider that God is bigger than the cultural blinders we have and the lenses that, that we bring to a given situation. Or, or even maybe the extreme of, of feeling judgmental or scornful toward others who are sharing a different experience of the Holy Spirit. And in this case, it's, this is a word of exhortation for all of us to invite God the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and minds and giving, give us the guidance we need from the Spirit of truth. And at times we may identify with the posture of amazement and perplexity, hearing testimonies of, of what, God, what is happening in other parts of the world people experiencing visions of God or having a sense of radical conversion. And we may be tempted to, to stop there and, and not attempt to interpret the event or ask the question of what this means for our lives or how this might be expanding our view about God and his work in the world. And yet, I think there's also a third option between this posture of perplexity and the posture of... of uh, kind of hardness or being closed off. And this is invite and we're invited into it through through Peter's sermon. And it seeks to take the narrative events of what is being witnessed to and interpret them in light of the big picture of what God is doing. Peter draws his audience uh, to look at the events in light of the word of God doing a new thing, ushering in a new era that is both world-shattering and world-transforming. And ultimately, his invitation through the Spirit is, is to draw a new people, a, a people into a new community, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Peter goes on later in the speech, part of what wasn't read. He says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And some of the crowds are pierced, some of the crowd is pierced by his words and, he, and indicating a work of the Holy Spirit. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, what, Brothers, what, was, must we, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, their hearts were pierced 
Uh, No longer was it some external event to mock or even stare at in in perplexity, but an event that pierced through the layers of dismissal or indifference and to the core. A conviction that this person, Jesus, mattered in some sense for their very life and hope. And we cannot make this happen in our lives, but we can ask and wait. We can pray for the Holy Spirit. We can take encouragement in some sense that the Holy Spirit has already been at work. Even before this Pentecost event, and certainly since then, that the very reality of the church gathered across space and time, across language and culture, tribe, this is a visible witness, however fragile and fallible, to the Spirit working, pouring out and making a new people in this coming kingdom of God. Because of the Holy Spirit, our primary identity is is no longer rooted in in our sharing a common language or culture with people who are like us, but in the fact that in sharing the Holy Spirit, Jesus has torn down the dividing walls of hostility. And in the language of Ephesians, you who once were far off have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Our identity is bestowed, given as a gift out of the overflow of the love of God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our identity in Jesus through the Holy Spirit is not a matter of grasping in order to hold tightly onto whatever, whatever we can take out of life and establish for ourselves. Not a matter of conceiving that we must ascend to meet with God, but by Jesus' ascent and reign, God descends, comes down in the Holy Spirit to dwell with us and in us. And just as Jesus' public ministry happened only after being anointed by the Spirit, so also we as his followers must be empowered for the ministry and work God gives us to do. So we are invited to live into the reality that this promise that is ours through Jesus, this promise of the received Holy Spirit, he is guiding and empowering and giving us renewed vision and life. The Holy Spirit is shaping our speaking, our living, and our desiring. And the Holy Spirit is calling us into a renewed identity belonging to God. To lay aside all divisions because we are one people through the reconciling work of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God. Amen.